Yeah, so um, really excited about these next three weeks. Um, we're going to talk about, I don't know, um, I wasn't here last week. The stone has rolled away. I'm good. Um, that was a rough, rough morning, but I really, really missed being with you all last week. But um, I hope you heard a little bit of the heart behind some of our global partners, some of the people that are doing things all around the world that we get to partner with. And I also hope you realize, or at least you see, I hope I'm going to show you today, um, that last week was kind of a setup for where we're going over the next um, three weeks. Um, and here's, here's where we'll start. Um, for those of you who have been around the last 13-ish years, we've participated in an annual generosity campaign called Advent Conspiracy. We didn't start this. We joined with other churches um, that, ha- that started this years and years and years ago. Um, those of you who are visiting, if you don't know, Advent Conspiracy was just our attempt to do corporately what Jesus has called us all individually to do, and that's to be generous. Uh, to be generous, to be willing to share, to, to think about how we can um, take the resources he's put in our hands and pass them on to other people. Um, Advent conspiracy happened during the Christmas season, and we're not even to Thanksgiving yet, so why are we talking about this? Um, well, um, Advent conspiracy is a thing of the past for us as a church. We're not going to do that anymore. It's in the same category as the ghost of Christmas past from now on. Um, but we still feel a desire to be the kind of church that's radically generous with what God has entrusted to us. And that's where give, serve, love comes in. You heard, um, again, some of our global partners last week. You've heard from one of our local partners already today. You're going to hear from some more over the next few weeks uh, throughout this series. And all of that's designed to get us to think about giving, serving, and loving the people that we're connected to through our collective generosity. Uh, You guys have given tens of thousands of dollars away over the last 13 years, and I hope we can continue to do that same thing um, in a different way, packaged um, a little bit differently through Give, Serve, Love. So that's where this series is coming from, and here's where we're going to start. Do you know what makes Jesus angry? Can you picture Jesus being angry? Like we all have this idea, this picture in our mind of what Jesus is like, and we're wrong most of the time, but can you, can you even picture Jesus being angry? Jesus got angry, but Jesus didn't get angry about the same things that we get angry about. When I think about um, my own anger, I don't have any scientific data to back this up, but I think about 99% of my anger comes down to the fact that I just don't get my way whether it's with my wife or my kids or I'm driving to church where I work at at the church and the guy doesn't use his blinker and I want to do stuff, but I don't, right? <laughs> All of that stuff, it just, you just boil down my anger most of the time. It's I just, I just don't get, not all the time, there is such a thing as righteous anger. I get that. But most of the time, my anger is just, I'm mad because I'm not getting what I want. Jesus didn't get angry over dumb things like that. Jesus got angry, but he didn't get angry over that. He got angry. Well, let me just show you. If you've got a mobile, mobile device or a Bible, you want to follow along with us here in the room, or those of you who join us online, find Mark chapter 3. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. So Mark is the second of the four Gospels in the New Testament. Um, we, we, we think that Mark got most of his information from Peter, and Mark wrote it down. And so that's where, um, that's where we're going to be today, Mark chapter 3. Um, this is what Mark tells us in verse 1. 
This is another time. Jesus went into the synagogue and a man with a shriveled hand was there. We would today call this um, hand atrophy. Um, we would call it um, maybe he had um, an accident and the bones didn't get set right. And um, eventually over time, um, the muscles just kind of deteriorated and eventually he couldn't use his hand. This was visible. Um, it was embarrassing. It caused him to not, not to be able to, to, to necessarily provide for his fam- family. And apparently we don't, we don't know how, we don't know if it was kind of a silent plea for help that he kind of showed Jesus or if Jesus just saw it, but apparently Jesus sees this. And here's, look at this next verse. Some of them, we're going to come back to them in a minute. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Now, in that one sentence, Mark introduces us to a version of religion that tries to prioritize God over what God prioritizes. He introduces us to a version of religion that valued God more than what God valued. That's what Mark's telling us in this second verse. That's what's going on with the them. He's telling us about more on that in a minute. The story continues. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone, which is exactly what you want to do when you've got something visible and embarrassing about your body, right? Like, what if I ask some of you to stand up right now? Let's all look at this one person. But Jesus says, this, guy, this guy's hoping that Jesus meets him in the parking lot afterwards or in the green room away from the crowd and heals them there. But Jesus is like, hey, bud, can you just go ahead and stand up right there for me? Then, then Jesus asked them, them who were more devoted to God than what God was devoted to. Them who were trying to love God without loving the people God loved. He asks them a multiple choice question about the Sabbath. Which is lawful on the Sabbath? Now, Sabbath for the Jews was, they had a tightly wound definition of what the Sabbath was. And this was, this was a command, and then they had had all of these layers that were added onto it throughout the years after the command was given in the Old Testament. And the religious leaders, they basically decided that the things that were considered work were all the stuff everybody else was doing except for them which is how self-righteousness works, right? Just think, about, just think about how angry you get at other people's sin, and then you look in the mirror and you go, well, I can't help it. Like, I had a bad morning. She's a bad person. I made some mistakes. He needs counseling. That's how self-righteousness works. It, it, it elevates your sin and excuses mine. It's exactly what the Pharisees were known for. This this self-righteousness that excused their own sin and actually ballooned everybody else's. Back to Jesus' multiple choice question, which is lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? Now, the answer is obvious. It's to do good and to save life. You should never do evil and kill, but you especially shouldn't do that on the Sabbath. Right? That, that's what he's getting. They're, they're trying to trap Jesus. They're looking for a way to trap him. And as he normally did, Jesus throws down the Uno reverse card <laughs> and throws it back at them. Let's see how you guys like it. Easy question. 
Everybody knows the answer to this question. See, the problem was that these religious leaders had saved life on a Sabbath at some point. Their animal was sick. If their animal fell into a ditch or into a hole, they saved it. That's saving life. And they certainly did that with their spouses or with their children if they were in trouble on the Sabbath. So Jesus throws this out there. Every single one of them would have done this. And and Jesus calls them out. Can we all agree that it's better to do good and save life on the Sabbath? And here's Jesus' real question, because there's lots of stuff happening here underneath the service. But the question behind Jesus' question is this. Is the law of God for the benefit of God? Is the law of God for the benefit of God? Or is the law of God for the benefit of people God loves? Is the law of God, like, we, we keep the Sabbath so God's happy with us and he's better off? Or... Is it about the people that God loves? Jesus actually answered the question about the issue of the Sabbath another time. He said God didn't create the Sabbath for himself. He didn't create people for the Sabbath. He created Sabbath for people. Creating people for the Sabbath would be like a married couple going, huh, we should have kids. So we have people in this household that can take care of the chores. Nervous laughter from some of you. It's like, were we not supposed to do that? No, that's not how it works. God created the Sabbath for people. Is the law of God for the benefit of God or is the law of God for the benefit of those God loves? And it's interesting. Everybody in that audience, everybody in this audience, even if this is your first time to darken the door of a church, you know the answer to Jesus' question. If you've never read the Bible before, and I asked you, is it okay to do good on the Sabbath? Is it okay to to save life on the Sabbath? 100% of the viewing audience at home would all say, yes. Yes, everybody knows the answer to the question. The religious leaders, the them, knew the answer to the question, but if they answered it, they would give in to where Jesus was leading them, and they couldn't let Jesus win. So what did they do? They remained silent. (laughs) The men in charge of the religious well-being of Israel, the men in charge of temple worship, the men in charge of what goes on throughout the week in the temple, they knew the answer to the question, but they remained silent because if they answered it, it would mess with their version of religion too much. They couldn't have that. How did Jesus react? How how does Jesus respond specifically? How did Jesus react when someone used the law God gave to hurt people God made? How did Jesus respond? Here it is. He looked around at them in anger. This is angry Jesus. And, And this word, it's a soft translation. In other parts of the New Testament, it's translated wrath. Those of you who grew up in a holiness denomination or a Baptist tradition, you know all about wrath. Jesus is mad. He looked at them in anger or wrath and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. They knew the answer to the question. They just wouldn't say it. They knew where they were caught and refused to budge. They knew Jesus was right and they refused to change. Their stubborn hearts got in the way. Aren't you so glad human nature isn't like that anymore? Mm. Jesus 
is angry. He's deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. The very next thing he does, look what Jesus says. Just imagine this moment. He says, stretch out your hand. I know y'all are mad. I know y'all just, you're trying to trap me. I'm just going to go ahead and give it to you. And, and the man, I don't know if he had heard of Jesus before, if he'd seen Jesus in action before, as embarrassing as this was, he stretched it out. His hand was completely restored. That was a good day for that guy. It was a good day for his family. It was a good day for his kids. Now, when you hear this story, when you read this story, isn't it true? Like, just think about yourself for a second. Isn't it true you're on team Jesus? Like, he's the hero of the story, right? Everybody who hears this story or reads this story goes, yay, Jesus, boo, Pharisees. <laughs> Jesus is the hero, right? All of the emotion of the story, all the characters, the way that it goes, there's something attractive about Jesus. There's something winsome about Jesus. And before we get too far with that thought, we just need to admit that Jesus' version of religion was terribly uncomfortable. <laughs> Not just for first century people, but for all century people. And, and here's what I mean by that. There's something in you, and I know it's in you because it's in me. There's something in us that wants to be able to treat people or ignore people however we want and then have this magical, mystical conversation with God and get grace and forgiveness and just move on with our life guilt-free. There's something, there's something in us, that this version of faith that allows us to treat people however we want, engage with God one-on-one, -on -one and be all good. I'll put it up on the screen so it's official. We want a faith that makes us accountable for how we treat God, not others. And let me be as clear as I possibly can. That is not Christianity. That's paganism. That's an equation. That's ATM Jesus. I punch in the right numbers. I pray the right prayers. I go to church enough times. I read the right scriptures. I do all the stuff, the religious stuff, and God will be good with me. You never hear that coming from the lips of Jesus, ever. If we think we can mistreat or ignore people and be right with God, we are fooling ourselves. Jesus taught the exact opposite. In fact, it's what made him angry. We, when people used the law of God to discount people made in the image of God, Jesus was quick to remind them that they were on the wrong side of God. It's what any good parent would feel. It's what I would feel, right? You can come up to me after service, say, Tim, oh, it was so good. Thank you for that message. It was so awesome. I took so many notes. And hey, if you ever write a book, just let me know. I'm going to be your first customer, okay? You do all that stuff and then mistreat my kids. I don't care what you say about me. I don't care how much you honor me. I don't care how many good thoughts you have about me. If you mistreat someone I love, you and I have a problem until you make it up with someone I love. Do we really think our perfect heavenly father is any different? Jesus taught this all throughout his ministry. The apostles taught it and wrote it down for us. 
Jesus modeled it over and over and over again. He sent us the Holy Spirit to infill us and give us the power to do this. And he says to you, here's here's what I want you to do. He says to you and I, he's saying this to you right now, today, through his word. Here's what Jesus is saying to you. Follow me. I did this. I want you to follow me. I want you to do for others what you saw me do for others. Mainly, be radically generous towards them even if they can't do anything for you in return. I want you to show grace and love and compassion to them, even if they don't do that in return. Follow me, that's the why behind give, serve, love. That's the why behind what we're doing. It's our way of doing corporately what Jesus has asked all of us to do individually because he practiced it habitually. We do it corporately because we've been called to do it individually because Jesus did it habitually. It's how we express our love to God, not by just loving God, but by caring for people God loves, expecting nothing in return. That's the why. Let's talk about the what. Let's talk about the what. We decided a long time ago that we weren't going to be a church that creates the, the food bank and hires missionaries to be on our staff. There's nothing wrong with that. We just decided we're going to instead find the people Find the organizations that are knocking it out of the park. They got the systems, they've got the know-how, they're getting it done, and come alongside of them and be a partner rather than a competitor. There's plenty of competition in the body of Christ. We didn't want to pile on. So we chose to be a partner rather than a competitor. We have partners, we call them partners, because we believe God's called us to come alongside of them and help them express God's love for people in places and in ways that we can't, that we're not equipped for, that we're not able to do, okay? And we have five local partners. We have eight global partners. And here's just a little bit of a list of the initiatives of the things that they're involved in. Anything from children at risk to what you heard Lamanda talk about, housing and homelessness. There's an education piece in some of them. There's a marriage ministry that we're involved in. Um, orphan care, human trafficking, literature distribution, and even medical care. And some of these happen just in our global partners. Some of them happen just in our local partners, and some of them happen in both. There are initiatives up there, and that's just a partial list of what we're involved in. And because this is a little different than Advent Conspiracy, let me tell you how this is going to go, okay? There are three calls to action. Anybody want to guess what those three things are? Yeah, there's a give piece. There's a serve piece, and there's a love piece. So two weeks from today, I'm going to come back, and I'm going to talk about how we can radically love our neighbors. Next week, I want to talk about what it looks like to radically serve our community outside the walls of this church. And today, that means today is the what piece? The give piece. Yeah, I got you. We've locked the doors. Okay? We have a missions team that takes care of of the administration, the communication with our partners, the send and the checks, all the behind stuff that happens throughout the year with our partners. That team is in charge of putting together our yearly budget for the initiatives that we're partnering with, okay? So they put together their wish list, which is just another name for a budget. They put together their wish list, and then I get up here, and I do as best as I possibly can to get 100% of you 
involved in taking care of that team, that budget, that wish list, that our partners around the world, okay? And the best thing about this is, like, I love being able to stand up here and say this. 100% of everything you give is going to go away. It's going to go out the door. I'm not asking you to give to the church. I'm asking you to give through the church, okay? There is no overhead. There is no R&D. There is no shipping and handling. You get to send all of it away. 100% of it is going to go through the church. And this is a sidebar, but you know how we can do that? The way that we can do that is because there are so many people that are a part of this church that are regular percentage givers. They give when things are good, when things are bad, when it's rainy outside, when it's sunny outside, when the message is good, when the message is junk, doesn't matter. They've chosen to give because they're consistent givers. And because of that, we get to do things like this and give all of this money away. Pass it on to our missions team to make things like this happen. 100% of it is not giving to the church, it's giving through the church, okay? So here's, what, here's how this is gonna work. This series is just a three-week series. Give, serve, love. This generosity campaign is gonna want, run all the way to December 17th. That's a week before Christmas Eve, okay? So the, we're only going to talk about it for three weeks, but you can give all the way through December 17th. I'd love for you to give sooner than that, but if you've got to wait all the way until December 17th to figure out what you and your family or you and your spouse or you as an individual want to give, that's fine too, okay? Our fiscal year, like our, our budget year, runs June to May. So all of the money that we're getting ready to raise won't be spent until at least June of 2024. And you say, why are we talking about this so early? Why are we talking about this right now if it doesn't get spent until June? Well, if we don't raise 100% of our goal, we got to figure out how to work that into our operating budget. And then we got to communicate with our partners to tell them what's coming their way in that, that, that calendar year, that fiscal year, and get all of our ducks in a row before June hits, right? So, all the accountants, all the financially minded people, all the type A personalities are like, come on, Tim, just, just tell me what we're trying to raise, right? That's the million dollar question. It's the million dollar, no, we're not trying to raise a million dollars. No. By December 17th, we want to raise $84,000. It's way better than a million, right? We want to raise $84,000. Now, you, you're thinking to yourself, there's a lot of money there. We've never raised that much money through Advent Conspiracy, Tim. And you'd be right. We never have. The most we've ever raised through having conspiracy is about 56. But we've also never had the giving capacity that we have as a church right now. This is the most giving capacity we've ever had in our church, in our history. Almost 50 years as a church. So yeah, it's a lot of money. So let's try and eat this elephant one bite at a time. You took everybody in our church, okay, our average attendance on a Sunday, kids, teenagers, adults, if everybody at Grace Point gave $137, that's all it would take for us to raise $84,000. And you say, some of you are like, that's not very much money. And some of you are like, I have a family of seven, so seven, carry the seven. It's a lot more than $137, right? $137 is nothing for some of you. And 137 is a lot for others of you. All I'm saying is, that's doable. That's doable. And now that the knife's in, let me just twist it a little bit. Okay? 
Don't raise your hand. Don't answer out loud. Please don't answer out loud. Have you ever spent $137 on something? Where is it? Do you even fit into it anymore? Okay, I won't use that third service. I got it. I hear you. Loud and clear. Do you have it anymore? Like, is it, is it gathering dust somewhere? Is it in a, is it in a you know, plastic? Where is it? You getting ready to trade it in for something else? I, the, the only reason I say that, because there is an opportunity in front of us, because I know what's coming just like you know what's coming. Black Friday's coming. And Christmas is coming. I get it. And you can spend $137 on Black Friday on something that you won't even care about a year from now. Or you can spend $137 on something that will matter 10,000 years from now. $137 a person, one year from now. I will be able to tell you where it went and what we did with it because we work with some incredible organizations all year long. And I think that's an incredibly amazing opportunity for the low, low price of $137 a person. I'm starting to sound like a salesman. Okay, one last thing, and then then we'll wrap this up, okay? And this is the putting the fun and fundraising portion of the message, okay? Um, There are some other projects. There are some other organizations. There are some other potential missionaries that we would like to get behind. We consistently have people coming to us asking for us to help them, okay? And about 98% of the time, we have to say no. And part of that is because we don't match up mission, vision, strategy, and sometimes we just don't have the funds to give to them. So if we raise more than $84,000, we can go back to some of those people that we do match up with mission, vision, and strategy. We can go back to those people and we can say, hey, we've got a check for you that we would love to partner with you. Or we could even give our current partners a raise. We'd love to do that. And we haven't promised anything like that. They're, They're not expecting it. They're not budgeting based on anything we've said we'll give them because we have no idea how much we're going to gather over the next seven weeks. But we'd love to surprise some organizations, create some new partnerships both locally and globally, and we could do that. We could do that. So just in case you want to give $237 a person, I guarantee you we have some people, we have some organizations that we would love to funnel some of that too. So how the giving goes, it's, it's what we do corporately. We think the church should be famous for their generosity, especially towards people who can't give anything to us in return. We, we want churches in our community to think like that. When, when we, when there are some, but even if there aren't any, we want to be that. We want to be the kind of church that's, that's known for, that's famous for their generosity, for their compassion for our willingness to give and to serve and to love. So December 17th, um, $84,000, you can, you can give right now. The electronic version is there on the Church Center app on the website. If you're watching this um, online, you, there's um, envelopes in the seat back pockets. You want to give cash or check. You can give today. You can give every week leading up to that. You can go home, sell some stock, sell some cattle, whatever you got, okay? doesn't matter. Um, that's, that's how this is going to go. But I, I, I'll, here, here's, here's what I'm going to end. I, I've told you this before. 
It's one of the ways Christianity spread throughout the Roman Empire 2,000 years ago. Through their generosity, through their compassion, the laying down of their lives in the most practical ways. And the world ultimately changed because Jesus' followers decided to follow him. And I honestly believe, I honestly believe the way the church in, the church in America moves forward today is by getting back to our roots. It's going back to how the first century church fought and did this, practically doing for others what our heavenly father through Jesus has done for us. So let's give. Let's give generously. Let's serve. We'll talk about that next week. Let's love. We'll talk about that in two weeks. And let's show our communities that our faith is more than sermons and songs that happens on a Sunday morning. Let's show them practically what it looks like to follow Jesus in the most practical ways, to prioritize what God prioritizes by tangibly loving the people that God loves. So here's our benediction. Ready? On your mark, get set, go give. And we'll see you here next week for part two.